0: Hello everyone, Alan Mishra here from Vitality Explorer News with this week's Vitality Explorer News Podcast. Please sign up at VitalityExplorers.com for free information about how to enhance your physical, mental, social, and or spiritual well-being. And please share this podcast with your friends, family, and coworkers if it's helping you. We would love if you could leave us a five-star rating on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcast. As always on Vitality Explorers, we begin with a quote. And this is one from our friend Rumi. Quote, fasting blinds the body in order to open the eyes of the soul. Fasting blinds the body in order to open the eyes of the soul. Gosh, wouldn't you like to you know, write like Rumi? That's just awesome. All right, this week on Vitality Explorer News, we're going to talk about intermittent fasting for vitality. We're going to begin to learn a core concept of Vitality Explorers, and that is to learn how to stockpile health, and then we're going to talk about why craving cold is good for you. So intermittent fasting is is really interesting, okay, and as always, check with your doctor before beginning any diet program, and this discussion is for information purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. We're going to outline some of the basics of intermittent fasting and review the latest literature on, and I'm also going to share, you, share with you a little bit how I've been using it personally over the last three or four years. The interesting part about this is fasting has been part of human history for centuries. So prehistoric humans were the first, honestly, intermittent fasters, and why? Because their food supply was inconsistent. They didn't have Costco or Safeway or McDonald's on the African uh, savannah. They had to rely on hunting and gathering okay so maybe you got yourself a saber-toothed tiger or whatever whatever they could hunt or maybe they found areas where there was some some berries or grain or something but it was inconsistent so they were intermittently fasting and intermittently eating okay now this led to times of growth what we call anabolic times when they were fed and catabolic times when they broke down or when they were unfed. So this concept of being fed and unfed is important because when you are fed you have increased levels of glucose which makes sense. You eat something, you produce glucose, you also produce insulin during fed times. But when you are unfed or when you are fasting um, uh, fat is broken down and older or damaged cells are broken down to lead to the fuel that you need to keep yourself going. These are simple but crucial concepts. So the idea of being fed or unfed, because the idea of being fed all the time can lead to high levels, chronically high levels of glucose and insulin. And that leads to the development of diabetes, obesity, and many other disorders. Conversely, if you are unfed, which sounds like you're starving, but it just means a period of time where you're not eating, you can have massively positive effects on your overall health and well-being. And we're going we're gonna to review a lot of data. We're going to go into some of the mechanisms of this in a minute, but I want to share two specific pieces of data from papers that were published in 2021 and 2022. And here, here they are. So, quote, moderate to high-level quality evidence supports intermittent fasting as, a, as an approach to weight loss for people who are overweight or obese. Let me say that one more time. Moderate to high-quality evidence supports intermittent fasting as an approach to weight loss for people who are overweight or obese. And the second is recently published data also suggests fasting may be helpful in the prevention of neurologic diseases. These include Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis, and epilepsy. Wow, all right. Those are, you know, the, the references are on the Vitality Explorer News Substack site. I encourage you to visit that for some of the charts and, and the abstracts from these papers. And I've, I've been intermittent fasting now for more than three years, and I have this snarky way of calling it stapling my mouth shut. Um, and a little bit of the background for myself is I used to count the days that I fasted 16 hours or more. Now I only count the days that I don't fast. So there are many, many versions of intermittent fasting there are purists who will say you don't eat or drink anything. There are people who say you can have a little bit. Um, but let me go, kind of go through one version of it. So most people, most people think of intermittent fasting as eating in what they call a shorter window. And this means you consume food, that is calories, during a time frame that's less than the typical three square meals a day. I started my own fasting routine by just stopping eating at 8, 8 p.m. and then not eating anything till 8 a.m. so that represented a quote 12-hour fast and then slowly increased that to 16 hours by not consuming any solid food until noon i train i i I have a little cheat we'll talk about in a second but i've trained myself to go beyond 16 hours to 20 hours at least twice a month and 36 or more hours several times per year the maximum amount of time i've gone without any food um, presently is about 50 hours Elite fasting individuals, of course, would think that's nothing because they can go for days or maybe weeks. I don't know. But there are a lot of versions of this, and there's a lot of discussion about what constitutes, quote, fasting. So I encourage people to look it up, but I'll try to summarize my experience uh, so you can learn a little bit and take what you like and throw the rest away, I guess. (laughs) So I allow myself one or two cups of black coffee with with a teaspoon or so of um, unsweetened almond milk. Uh, and I'm just a lot better person if I have one or two cups of coffee uh, in the morning. And I do not consider this breaking my fast. Think about that breakfast, breakfast. Okay, that's where it comes from. So, one or two cups of coffee with a little bit of almond milk. Um, other people would demand that I don't use any almond milk or that I just drink water. Um, but I, I, my take on this is that you got to do what works for you. So, my main goal. Uh, with fasting was to reduce the total number of calories that I was taking in, in a particular day. And this gets to this concept of trying to understand why do you want to fast. And I think there's a lot of different reasons. Number one, maybe it's to lose weight. Number two, maybe it's to look better. Number three is to feel better. And the important one that's sort of throughout history, the fourth one is for religious observances. So yeah. there's a lot of data in, in a variety of religions about fasting as a way to gained uh, better mental clarity or closeness with God. Plato also talked it about, and he, his quote uh, was, uh, he f- stated he fasted for, quote, greater physical and mental efficiency. So again, this arc of fasting uh, for religious or non-religious reasons has been around for thousands of years. And for my personal reason is, is is I feel better, okay? I, I gained about five pounds during COVID, um, and it really wasn't my fault because when I was pushing my cart through the Safeway, these five pound bags of M&Ms, peanut M&Ms by the way, the best, would just fall into my grocery cart. And um, I might've consumed a few of those over the year, over the past year or so. Um, and I really don't like to be on diets. And I, I like to eat pizza, pumpkin cheesecake, and an occasional glass of nice red wine, but I needed a solution to get rid of these five pounds. And that's when I started uh, studying and practicing intermittent fasting. And I can tell you that it helped me lose the five pounds and keep it off. And and the medical data, when I started looking at the literature, was staggering. I mean, there's amazing benefits. Intermittent fasting has uh, shown to have better outcomes for diabetes, cardiovascular disease, neurologic disease, and even cancer. Very fascinating fascinating, interesting stuff about cancer and chemotherapy. I encourage people to look that up and maybe we'll do a full post on fasting in the context of of cancer at some point. But the idea is that it suppresses inflammation in your body uh, and it also can improve your sleep and circadian rhythms. Uh, And there's just a whole host of animal data to suggest that helps them live longer and the human studies are really ongoing on that. It's going to be a difficult one to prove because it'll take 10, 20, 30, maybe 50 years before somebody comes up with a proof that fasting enhances your longevity. I think the bottom line, however, is that it's a very good thing for your body, and it's a cost and drug-free way of enhancing your vitality. That's my opinion. And this leads leads us to another reason uh, to consider that why fasting is potentially valuable, And, and it has to do with billionaires and their desire to hack aging. And they're putting hundreds of millions billions of dollars actually, into figuring out a way to um, find the fountain of youth. And they're spending an enormous amount of money in search of a drug that will kill off cells that produce excess inflammation. Now this is reasonably complex biology, but wait for it, fasting is a cost drug-free way of killing off these bad cells. And so I I had this idea about how to enhance vitality and longevity, which I may or may not be able to prove just yet. But here's the, here's my simple suggestion: eat less, and eat less often, and then throw in exercise more. So, eat less, eat less often, and exercise more. That's my take on how to improve your longevity and your vitality with regard to food and exercise. Pretty straightforward. Um, and then and then there's other other <laughs> articles that I came across that were pretty staggering in their. And their statements. And here's one uh, profound statement, quote, the risk of morbidity and mortality rises exponentially with age. The risk of morbidity and mortality rises exponentially with age. Well, that's a Captain Obvious statement, right? But is there anything we can do about it? That gets us back to that idea of fasting. And I think just a little bit of science will help us here, and then we'll move on to stockpiling health. Alright, so chronic inflammation and DNA damage are associated with, with cancer, heart disease, diabetes, arthritis, blah blah blah, lots and lots of one. So inflammation is bad. Um, and dysfunction of the little cellular powerhouses known as mitochondria are also associated with aging. So the, the, the latest rage is to try to figure out how to decrease the, this accumulation of what we call senescent or zombie cells that trigger this inflammation. So there's lots and lots of biomarkers for aging, including hemoglobin, A1C, grip strength, which we've talked about before, many mental state exams, and even artificial intelligence-driven markers, okay? But one of the things it has to do is measuring your overall inflammation. And the ideas of trying to use caloric restriction or fasting appear to be quite interesting in terms of decreasing your overall Inflammation. So, I encourage you to check out the Vitality Explorer Substack site for more of the details. Uh, my opinion is that searching for a quote unquote vitality pill is a folly. All right. I'll place my bet on, on better things such as, like we talked about, eating less, eating less often, and exercising more. Um, but I think people should consider, in the context of, of their personal health and situation, talking to their doctor uh, of adding intermittent fasting as a way to improve their overall sense of vitality. Okay, let's move on to a really, you know, core concept of being a vitality explorer. And that is the idea of stockpiling health, not just wealth. And again, if you're enjoying what you're listening to, please share this with your friends. You can also sign up for Vitality Explorer and use text text message newsletter via vitalityexplorers.com. So this idea of stockpiling physical, mental, social, and spiritual well-being, is something I've talked about in my classes and talked about it a lot in the webinars I've done for a variety of institutions. And it's really this idea that's pretty simple again. I'm a simple guy here. But how many times have we been told to save money for our retirement? Put money away with each paycheck, watch it grow over time, and then you're going to be a gazillionaire you know, 10, 20, 30 years, 50 years later. Uh, obviously, that's important financial advice. And having enough money or funds to retire is important. But money can't buy your health back and the idea of wealth can't buy your health is really important and i think that the idea of no matter if you're 10 years old 20 50 80 years old it's important to start today to stockpile health all right and it's crucial because it pays amazing dividends short medium and especially long term and so people say well what do you mean by that well there's a lot of times when I cannot exercise or I cannot connect with other people. I think this is this idea of binging at the buffet of excuses. We've talked about time in the past and how people are wasting about a thousand seconds a day doom scrolling on their phone or maybe watching you know, something on a streaming media or gossiping or complaining. Try to take those 1,000 seconds and work or begin today to stockpile health. Now, there are hundreds and hundreds of ways you can do that, but let me give you eight or nine examples broken down by physical mental social and spiritual so physical i think we underrecognize the value of stretching <clears throat> you could set, set aside 5 minutes <clears throat> excuse me twice a day 5 minutes and just do some stretching that could be your hamstrings that could be your shoulders that could be your lower back but that little amount of stretching every day will will result in better long term flexibility, mobility, and in my opinion, vitality. The second one under physical is to do some resistive exercises. Uh, Excuse me, little frog in my throat here. Um, Do some resistive exercises or aerobic exercise three times per week. Part of it is having the discipline and making the commitment to that. So that's the two physical ones, stretching and or resistance or aerobic exercise mentally. Here's a couple suggestions. Number one, take a 1000 second, 17 minutes, tranquility timeout today. Simply sit in quiet, meditate or pray. All right, amazing what that can do for you. The second is to do some deep breathing exercises and that's something we're gonna revisit, revisit more uh, later as to why that's a very, very valuable way to calm yourself down and to improve your overall mental health. The third category is social you yeah, we've discussed this in the past, but think about this in the context of stockpiling health. Call a friend and check in on them. Listen with the intent of hearing them. And don't wait. Don't be the person that says, nobody's calling me. Be the person to, to set up that social event. Be a leader and set up the time to meet somebody for a walk, a cup of coffee, or dinner, whatever it is. The final one is spiritual. And we forget that sometimes. But spirituality to me is a core core component of your vitality belief in something bigger than yourself so that could be that's the suggestion is to that could be a religious uh, service that it could also be a social or environmental cause but you know serve seek to serve somebody in need so find something to believe in something bigger than yourself number one number two is serve somebody in need obviously there's many ways to do that and again there's hundreds of ways to stockpile health the key is to find something to enhance your overall vitality and health consistently, five, 10, 15 minutes per day. Um, And I think too often we wait until we are in pain or suffer an injury. And I think it's important to seek instead to try to avoid that future physical, mental, social, or spiritual pain by identifying a weakness in your life and then to begin to work on it. Don't wait for somebody else to solve it. Understand that the best ways we can help ourselves is usually helping ourselves. And remember that circumstances can pivot really without notice. And that leads really to this final question for this section of today's or this week's podcast is that do you want to live well or do you want to live vitally? So, being well or living vitally implies that you're living without disease or injury. Living vitally means you are leading an energetic, purposeful, and connected life. Living vitally means you are leading an energetic, Purposeful and connected life. So seek to live life on that higher plane of vitality and begin today to stockpile health. All right, so that's our second section. The final one <clears throat> I've been reserving to share because I'm a little um, nervous about it, but I've been I've been craving the cold to enhance my vitality for for a long time. Um, and let me explain. So consistent cold exposure has made a massive difference for me and. Again, disclaimer, do not initiate any cold exposure program without first discussing it with your physician and this post is for informational purposes only. So the first question is, why do people voluntarily expose themselves to cold, okay? So the the lay literature, if you just Google cold exposure, uh, it comes up with a whole host of things for it's good for including your immune system, to treat depression, to enhance peripheral circulation, increase your libido burn calories, and reduce stress. The scientific studies that I've studied for Vitality Explorer News here have found, quote, regular cold exposure can be effective in the treatment of chronic autoimmune inflammation, reduce your cholesterol um, by... Um, brown adipose tissue activation and have a positive effect on stress regulation. So sometimes that lay press is consistent with what the scientific data is. The question that has been out there, is is cold cold exposure responsible for those health benefits, or is it just part of an overall healthy lifestyle that includes social interaction, eating well, and a positive mindset? So it could be, is it causative or, or does it correlate, right? So people may be who are crazy enough to expose themselves to cold on a regular basis. Um, Maybe they're just reaping the benefits and it's because they have other other healthy lifestyles. Uh, So it's important to understand a little physiology and regular listeners and readers of Vitality Explorer News are getting sort of a uh, adjunct biology degree here, but let me explain a couple things about cold and what happens to your body, the physiologic responses. And so first thing that happens is you get tightening of your blood vessels. That's called vasoconstriction. You can also shiver and you can get activation of brown fat. We'll talk a little bit about more of that in a second. And there's cardiovascular and lung changes. So you, you your blood vessels around your skin constrict. Um, you can shiver. You can also, this, this idea of non-shivering thermogenesis, how to increase your Heat is activation of brown tissue, brown brown adipose tissue, also known as BAT, and then there's cardiovascular responses like we talked about. There's some also strange things that happen, and one of these is a uh, cold-induced vasodilation. And let me describe this in a quote: quote After approximately five to ten minutes of cold exposure, the sympathetic response causes blood vessels to vasodilate, a process called cold-induced vasodilation. This response is related to a decrease in the sympathetic activity around the sphincter muscle of an arteriovenous anastomosis. Okay, that's a, bit, a lot of words. It basically shows that when you have this initial contraction and then it dilates in a cyclical fashion. So it's very interesting, right? At least it's interesting to me. The other one is shivering, and we've all shivered, but that's a process of You know, continuous and asynchronous skeletal muscle contraction, so you're kind of just shaking, but this increased muscle activity is highly energy-dependent. And in consequence, really, when you're shivering, you're burning a lot of calories. Your metabolic rate is going up. And as promised here, brown adipose tissue is capable of producing excess heat through a process of non-shivering, and newborns have a lot of this, and it's a very well-established way to generate heat. Uh, it's, its role in adults is hotly debated, but there's some evidence that exposure to cold increases your brown, brown adipose tissue and allows you to produce energy without shivering. The final one is this important one because if you have any issues with your heart or lungs, when you jump into the cold, or even if you take a cold shower, there's an increase to your respiratory rate, heart rate, blood pressure, and decreases their, your brain perfusion. Again, check out the Vitality Explorer new Substack site for all the references, um, but What's important here is that when you expose yourself to cold water, you have a, a chronic, uh, chronically, meaning consistently over time, there's a lot of things that happen. You have, you know, decrease in a lot of markers of inflammation, you have improvements in your cardiovascular risk factors, decrease, uh, increase in your auto or your immune system in a variety of different ways. Um, you know, but I think there's one specific one that's being investigated, and that is the production of something called uh, adiponectin, okay? A-D-I-P-O-N-E-C-T-I-N, okay? This is a key protein that's produced by your fat tissue and plays an important role against insulin resistance, diabetes, and other age-related diseases. So when you expose yourself, you increase your production of this molecule, and that could have a ridiculously positive effect on these terrible things like diabetes, heart disease, and and other age-related ones. Um, The interesting other piece of data I uncovered is that cold water swimming can enhance both your mental uh, well-being and your memory. And here's the quote, a quote uh, from a study, quote, a reduction of tension and fatigue and improvement in mood and memory in winter swimmers. Quote, the participants reported to be more energetic, active, and brisk compared to the control group, all swimmers in the studies who suffered from rheumatism, fibromyalgia, or asthma reported that winter swimming relieved pain. So, wow. Um, it's not really, the data is not mature about this, okay? And cold exposure can have negative or serious issues. I mean, if you jump into a very, very cold, you could go into cardiogenic shock. So again, don't do this right away. But here's here's the analysis from, from what I call the Vitality Explorer analysis. I think cold exposure is, is legit. I think there's um, profound physical and mental effects that are being explored and I've been I've been doing this now for about three and a half years I started slowly with about 20 to 30 seconds of cold shower once a week I now shower every single day just turn on the shower instead of waiting for it to turn warm I will uh, shampoo my hair that takes about 60 to 90 seconds before it warms up I feel it's like almost like getting a cup of coffee right in the morning i'm also saving that water so i think i used to put a little red bucket in the shower to save it but now when i turn it on but now i'm utilizing that i take a shorter shower and i also take an ice bath two to three times a week for 10 minutes in the winter i also expose myself or immerse myself in cold water for up to five minutes and this routine has made a massive difference for me personally I simply feel and think better. I also recover faster from any exercise routine. I'm calmer and I think it helps me sleep better. I'm also leaner and can engage in higher level activities despite having some chronic degenerative changes in my neck and my back. So uh, th- this is just my personal take on it. I would encourage you to read some of these. This is some just one of the references uh, on the substack site you can see is health effects of voluntary cold exposure a continuing subject of debate that was just published recently here in 2022 and the idea of cold induced violation uh, violation, cold induced vasodilation I think is fascinating because I think the cold exposure is a way to potentially stretch your blood vessels okay we'll talk about that at a later date so again this this week's vitality explorer news I love doing this it's really a fascinating way for me to try to stay vital myself I love sharing it with the, the audience I hope this week you have learned a little bit about intermittent fasting you've learned how to stockpile health and you've begun to understand why craving the cold could be good for you if you're finding this interesting please share this with your friends your family please leave, please leave us a five-star rating on uh, apple podcasts and if you've made it all the way to the end here if you have any suggestions about future podcasts or or any other suggestions about topics you would like me to cover, you may send me an email, am at daretobevital.com, am at dare to be Vital, and I'll put that in the show notes as well. So thank you very much for, uh, for listening to the Vitality Explorer News podcast this week, and until next time, as always, dare to be vital.